Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Thursday, June 3rd, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max, a man who has a fresh-to-death cut and a little bit of styling in there. Max, how's it going, my friend? Yeah, a little more late-headed than I've been lately. Uh, had some fun this week getting a friend uh, cut and die, other than the fact that she like covered the back of my neck with bleach, which is like covered in a rash now. Loving every bit of it. I'm so pissed. She wanted to like, because there's a ton of hair that grows on the back of my neck. So she's like, oh, I don't want this to be out of match. But like, as soon as my hair was short, I cut that stuff off anyway. So for the sake of like hair on the back of my head, which existed for about five, six hours after my hair was done, my neck now hurts like shit. But other than that, I'm loving this. uh, I don't know, like Slim Shady, you said Justin Timberlake. I was looking at Machine Gun Kelly pictures, but definitely like a white boy vibe. Absolutely. And you're looking good, my friend. I am uh, I am also lightheaded because I have officially joined the 5G connection, got my vaccine this afternoon. And uh, yeah, Putin's whispering sweet nothings in my ear. I hear it now on the reg. But besides that, feeling good. I'm just happy that basically a week and a half from now, I can go to a patio and have a fancy, way too expensive drink and and feel good about it because I have not spent an atrocious amount of money in a long time. And and that's just part of the the experience of being in your 20s. Am I right? Yeah, I'm I'm on the other side of that street right now. <laughs> Between the TV and Xbox, a little too much takeout food and um, things like this hair. I'm I have some catching up to do, so maybe I'll stick with those uh, only as expensive as they need to be drinking activities for now. But nice, that is absolutely what summer and being in our 20s and not having too many expenses is all about. Looking forward to getting my vaccine tomorrow. Yes. By the time you hear us on Sunday, it will be a fully vax gang pod. I am part of the uh, Pfizer hot boy summer crew. So look out for it. It's summer 2021. It's ours. We're taking it back. Let's go. (laughs) All righty. Let's talk some sports, shall we? Uh, We got some basketball on the docket, some hockey, a teeny bit of baseball, um, maybe a teeny bit of tennis. We'll see how we're feeling. And then uh, I want to talk about a sport that is near and dear to my heart uh, near the end of this podcast and just give a quick two-minute preview of that league and and a league I think is growing and has a lot of potential and um, I'm not going to say what it is so you're gonna have to tune in later on the pod to find out alas we will begin on the court in the NBA at Staples Center where game six is about to go tonight between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Phoenix Suns the Suns are up three to two over the defending champion Lakers. And at the time of this recording, still unsure about Anthony Davis's status ahead of this game. If the, the fact that he hasn't come out yet is means to me that they probably are going to try and play him because essentially what they want to do is 
hold out, hold out, hold out, and then just spring him on the Suns at the last second. Um, I imagine if you're the Suns, you're expecting him to be in the lineup. And so uh, either way, you'll be prepared. But yeah, I'm surprised we haven't heard anything yet. It'll be interesting to see what what level Anthony Davis is, because I imagine he's not going to be more than 80% of himself uh, after an injury like that. But yeah, the big story oh. here. Yeah. Oh, it's also a question of how much is that going to be in his head every time he goes up? Like, even if it is near 100, he's going to be so worried about re-aggravating it, knowing that missing game seven would probably lose them the series. He's so injury prone, though, that he's like that every time he plays. Like, he's always got some sort of injury nagging at him. So I don't know if that'll affect it. It's more truly the mobility and the pain of the injury. How much of that can he play through? But the big story of this game is LeBron James. And he left with five minutes to go at the end of game five, got absolutely hammered by the Suns in that game five. It was an excellent, excellent, excellent performance by Phoenix. And for LeBron, um, we've seen this before where he kind of feels it out, sees what the, the tempo is, what the tide is in the game. He checked out early, but you know we're going to get as much as he can give tonight facing elimination. He has never lost the first round series. And I imagine he doesn't want to start that now. Obviously Lakerland has the excuses lined up, but if you're LeBron James, man, you're not getting any younger year 18. And and he's gotten so many great moments this season where he is performing at such a high level based on his age and something we've never, ever seen, but father time is undefeated. And, this was as good of any of a shot that the Lakers had this season. And so I imagine we are going to see a physical, imposing, aggressive, um, assertive LeBron James tonight. We will see how the Suns respond. Still not a ton of playoff experience on that roster. We'll see, again, Chris Paul is not 100% either. So him and AD kind of counteract each other in that regard. But it's truly going to come down to what version of LeBron we get tonight. And my money is on the fact that he is ready to craft this narrative where he is down in a series against a team that uh, they are not favored against at this point. He has faced the wash King, the injuries all season, and he's ready to have his last dance moment as Michael Jordan uh, put it in his doc so many times. And LeBron's trying to craft a narrative like that. He's a Hollywood man. Now he's ready to go. I would be shocked if the Lakers don't win tonight, but uh, I've been wrong before and I'll be wrong again. So really interested to see what's going to happen tonight. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to this as we talk about the other series, but with uh, like Damian Lillard, Nikola Jokic, Luka Doncic, we are seeing what a superstar in the playoffs looks like and what the around the maximum impact one player can have in a game, what a player can do. And you talked earlier about the Lakerville having their excuses lined up. If their excuse is Anthony Davis was injured, then okay, that puts a ceiling on what LeBron's level is. He's not a superstar anymore. Like if he can't do what we're seeing all of these other fantastic players do to win or give their teams the best chance to win playoff series, then that... I think affects the where he is relative to the best in the league right now. And I think down the last five minutes, he probably is still as good and scary as anyone else, but over 48 
based on how this series has been going so far, I don't know if we can say it, but like you said, been wrong many times before, will be wrong again. Maybe he'll, he's just been saving himself and will show up all game because it does seem that there's a level of physicality he could bring that he hasn't yet brought. Absolutely. A name that you didn't mention when you named a couple of those superstars and a spot where I actually was right and I'm ready to take my victory lap now is the performance of Trey Young and the Atlanta Hawks. And I have not been the biggest fan of Trey in the past. I didn't have him as an all-star this season and I will steadfastly stand behind the opinion that his defense is simply not good enough to win a title. But he was awesome, straight up, and has definitely even used this stage and this series to evolve himself as a player. Um, he was able to hide on uh, a Knicks team where they just cannot play good offense and then completely take over games and, and control the rhythm and tempo. And it was so fantastic to watch him. He was embracing the villain role hits that last shot and just takes a bow in the center of MSG. You know, he had that line loaded up for hours saying, I know where I'm at. It's a show. That's how they end the show. Right. <laughs> Fantastic. Just French kiss. Moi. Perfection. And Atlanta showing the depth of talent on this team and a number of different guys who can all score. That was one of the calling cards of the Toronto Raptors championship team that we love so much. Every one of those guys in their top seven could go get you a bucket in one way or another. Even if it was Danny Green, he had some deceptive um, ability to take guys off of a attacking a closeout or even posting up a smaller defender. And everyone else on that Raptors team could create a bucket at some point if need be. And that's what this Atlanta Hawks team feels like a little bit. The only guy who's really super dependent is Clint Capella, but he just plays his role so perfectly and knows exactly what he does well. And I am really, really looking forward to this second round series against the Philadelphia 76ers who dispatched the Washington Wizards without Joel Embiid yesterday and maybe without him for the first couple games of this series and being diagnosed with a meniscus tear, something I had about a month ago. Um, and I am very familiar with it. It feels like your leg is kind of locked up almost uh, because it's swollen and it's something that you can definitely operate through, but it is painful and it is debilitating and limits the amount of mobility and strength that you have. And so if you're Embiid, Obviously, you're probably still the best player in this series, even at 90%, at 80%, but you run the risk of re-aggravating that injury and making it worse, and then you take yourself out of this series. So it's going to be very, very fascinating to see how Philadelphia deals with this. This is one of their best shots to win a title because of the, their side of the bracket and the Hawks team that is objectively weaker than Milwaukee or Brooklyn, and you know the winner of that series is going to have some cuts and bruises. Um, so it's set up well for Philly, but really worrisome with the Embiid injury. I went on tangent there. We'll get back to the Philadelphia Atlanta preview here. If Embiid plays, then obviously advantage Sixers. They're the stronger team, number one seed, home court advantage, deeper, just more top end talent. But I think Atlanta actually matches up well against this team. 
Trey Young, you can hide on either a Matisse Thibel or even a Seth Curry if he's not activated in the offense. And then on the other side, Clint Capella is as good a defender you could probably have for Joel Embiid. Maybe he doesn't have the same mass, but he is a rim protector and he is a guy who can bang down low. And then you've just got a ton of talent at other positions that can score and, and light it up. And Philadelphia is a great defensive team and will do a great job stopping the head of the attack with Trey Young. But Bogdanovich, Herter, Gallinari, Hunter, uh, Lou Williams even are all guys that can create and their talent's pretty deep. And I could see them giving Philadelphia a run for their money. I would still pick Philadelphia in six, but Atlanta, I think things are shaping up. If this Embiid injury gets a little bit worse, they could be in a position to make it to a conference finals, which is bizarre to think about after where we had them pegged at the beginning of the season. Damn. Yeah. I, the West has been so much more fascinating for me playoff wise so far, to be honest. So I got nothing on this series, but interesting that's what i'm here for last quick stat here trey young is the first player since michael jordan to have three 30 point playoff games at madison square garden good company to keep bravo sir all right uh let's quickly jump into milwaukee brooklyn before we get to the west um this is the best series i think of the second round no matter what the matchups end up being um because of the fact that we get to see this smaller market team with a little bit more homegrown big three, a uh, couple of guys who are underrated. And then of course you've got your two-time MVP in Giannis who Brooklyn has no answer for. He has absolutely gone ballistic on them this season. And then on the other side, you've got the big, not so big market Brooklyn team, obviously the Knicks run New York, but Brooklyn is a just by size geographically and population wise is a big market and they have three of the most incredible offensively gifted players ever with Harden, Kyrie and Kevin Durant. And I am just so, so, so excited to see how these teams match up against one another. Uh, Milwaukee obviously going to be without Dante DiVincenzo. So that's a bit of a bummer because he'd probably be the guy they give a lot of time on Kyrie. Um, so for now, I guess maybe we'll see Pat Connaughton, Maybe we'll see Bobby Portis in the starting lineup. Uh, maybe we will see Bryn Forbes. That's risky. Uh, but you'll see Drew Holiday. Basically, they put Drew on whoever is more hot in the moment, Harden or Kyrie. And then you see Giannis matching up with KD, which that in itself is just awesome. Two of the top five guys in the league. And then you've got a PJ Tucker or uh, Chris Middleton matching up with James Harden. And... I just, I can't wait for that because obviously PJ Tucker, him and Harden were supposedly going to be a package deal when Harden got moved. PJ didn't come with him. So now PJ gets the opportunity to go ahead and, and maybe uh, knock his buddy out of the playoffs. And yeah, I'm just super, super excited for the series. Uh, Milwaukee is going to have their way in the paint, but also Brooklyn can have a night where they could score 150 and it doesn't matter how good your defense is because these three guys are just incredible. Not to mention you've got Joe Harris, who is an absolute flamethrower, just lights out every time he shoots a three because all of them are wide open because all these guys attract double teams and so much off, uh, defensive attention. So there you go. I think I'm going to pick Milwaukee in seven because I... No, I can't. Sorry. 
I'm going back. I have Brooklyn in the finals. I have to ride with that prediction. I want to pick Milwaukee because of the continuity factor and the fact that it's just better for basketball and the league if they have more success. But I have to stick with my initial preseason pick of the Nets, and those three guys are just the talent that takes it above and beyond. So there you go. I think you should just pick whichever team you think is going to be better over the next two weeks at basketball personally, but I'm here for an absolute offensive showdown. Let's go bucket for bucket. It does not matter if the other team scores 150 points on you. You just have to score 151. I am so curious what if we can get to that point, like what the last two, three minutes of defense looks like, because in theory, like Giannis, you said it should be unguardable, but like in that clutch time, they often go with like a Giannis drive and kick to Middleton or Drew. And I I don't know if that's how reliable that will be compared to like just get it to Giannis and for a post touch, but like that's not been their bread and butter. So I don't know how reliable that will be. So I I like Giannis to just consistently destroy them in the paint all game, but like clutch time last two, three minutes, I think Milwaukee's going to struggle on offense and the Nets are going to have a bit of an easier time. Uh, I'm also still waiting to see on injury though. Like I, the way the season went, I will not be surprised for a second if uh, one of these big three goes out and then depending who it is it could be a whole different series definitely the the deceptive thing about these two teams is they actually can turn up the intensity and play some solid defense but i just think the talent is overwhelming in the end and you'll see brooklyn pick on mismatches anytime Bryn forbes or brooke lopez are on the floor they're in the pick and roll and then that's what milwaukee has to do on the other end they have to have Giannis driving at Kyrie at James Harden, not in the post against those guys, but driving against them. And every time DeAndre Jordan's out on the floor, they have to go at him. And every time Joe Harris is on the floor, they have to go at him. Right. And so there will be interesting to see how each team attacks mismatches and switching and how they'll play those high pick and rolls. Cause those that's all this game's going to be in the last five minutes. They can play defense, but just forget about it. Boys. <laughs> like have some fun. Come on. Yeah. A series that has been changed by injuries but is still super, super exciting uh, is the Nuggets-Portland series. Obviously, the injury I'm referring to is Jamal Murray. Uh, He's been out for a while now. And the Nuggets, a 3-2 series lead despite that injury. And getting a absolutely one-in-a-lifetime performance from Monte Morris, uh, one from Austin Rivers earlier in the series, and then this one from Monte Morris. He was hitting a step-back three over guys um he was awesome and then Jokic (laughs) down the stretch double overtime and the last possession he throws a ankle breaking skip pass to the corner because Covington thought he was throwing it to Gordon and then he tried to change fell on his behind uh and Porter hits the the three in the corner I believe and uh yeah that was awesome and that wasn't even close to the biggest story of that game game time and when you put up 55 points on 12 of 17 threes 
the most three-pointers ever made in a playoff game and you lose, something's wrong. Something is so very wrong. I just feel terrible for Dame. A once-in-a-lifetime performance. The, the record for points in a playoff game is 63. He's not that far off. And he did it in just the most spectacular fashion. Step-back threes, sidestep threes, driving, getting to the cup, whatever shot he was making it. And it was unbelievable to see. And, and they lost because other guys can hit a shot. But I think it, the, everyone else on Portland went one for 19 um, in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter, plus the two overtimes, just appalling. And Dame deserves so much better. And I don't, if, if Portland doesn't come back and win this series, I don't know what, what's next for them. Yeah. It, the last 12 minutes, the two overtimes and last two minutes, maybe a little more essentially felt like a duel between Dame and Jokic and each had their like go-to weapon Jokic anywhere in the mid range, just like a spin off post touch. He, I swear he made like seven or eight of those in a row. And it seemed like he couldn't miss at one point Dame, even more ridiculous, like seven feet off the three point line, moving in any direction, like nothing but net. Katie called it a spiritual experience on Twitter. <laughs> Damn. Uh, but ultimately, Jokic had more weapons at his disposal, um, a, able to take advantage of the double teams that were coming his way, setting up Porter for that three, setting up Morris, said just some of the ridiculous passing that's been a huge part of his MVP season and teammates who can finish. And that's ultimately what the difference was down that double OT, honestly all the credit in the world to Morris, but he also kind of blew the first overtime for uh, Denver, missing like a wide open layup and a free throw. Uh, either one of those would have put the game away. But yeah, we have to end this segment talking about Dame because like one buzzer beater three to send the game into overtime is good enough for the pilot of the week two in the same game. I I went with my head and picked on Denver in this series, and it's a lot closer than maybe I thought. But like my heart is aching that I didn't pick Lillard, and that if they don't win, like shit, man, get that guy a ring. Yeah. Well, they're out to an early lead as we talk right now. It's around eight thirty Eastern time um, in the first quarter of that game. Yeah, the Portland. Like if, if they don't win this series and, and go deep in the playoffs, then you got to imagine one of McCollum and, and Powell are back next year. And if not, they're moving the other one or Powell could just leave in free agency. And then you got to find a way to get Dame another bonafide star beside him because McCollum is great. He's awesome. But I just, I don't know if you can live with those two as, as your two best players with just very little defense and, and purely just scoring production, not a ton of playmaking there. And so I don't know where you're looking, but it, it, they, they have to find some sort of larger uh, defensive presence and maybe finally figure out their wing situation because Covington was okay, but they just need a little bit more from that position than uh, I don't know if Zach Collins will ever be back to what he was 
potentially going to be. And uh, besides that, I really don't know what the options are out there, but it, it's Dame, it's Nurkic. And after that, I, I really don't know. All right. Uh, quickly, before we get to our last series, uh, Utah dismantles Memphis. They had them figured out. It was 30 point game at one point last night. Uh, it was truly, I already mentioned in the last pod, truly two teams with um, just varying degrees of experience and on a, on varying degrees of the development curve. Memphis still very early on and, and Utah's reached the peak of their development curve. And so Memphis, you're thinking two, three years away from reaching that status. Um, but it was cool to see kind of the now versus future and, and the difference between like all of these exciting young players that you want to root for and then what real playoff basketball looks like. And that's this Utah team with just a ton of creators and then a dominant interior presence of Rudy Gobert. Um, Utah's got it lined up well now looking at the West because a little bit of an injured Lakers Sun series, um, maybe a little bit of an injured Clippers Mavs series, depending on who comes out of this absolute bloodbath. And then Denver, Portland, I just don't know if either of those teams have the defense to compete with Utah. So Utah is in actually a pretty good spot. Also as the number one seed, everything goes through Utah. So um, this could be their best opportunity uh, ever to, to go for that finals appearance and, and have a run at the title. So um, obviously not my pick, but definitely a team to look out for. And uh, Utah fans, enjoy it. This is, this is something you don't get to experience that often, and, and they're in a great spot. But we will arrive at the most fun and exciting series so far, the Clippers and the Mavericks. And Dallas, after getting a counter-strike punched in the mouth, just purely dominated in all facets by the Clippers in game three and four, no one has won on at home yet in this series which is wild to think about. But the Mavs come back and win game five on the road. Doncic, 19 points in the first quarter. Uh, shoulder looks okay. He's looking gas, though. Uh, anytime before timeouts, he's given it, and then he's using every second of that those timeouts to recover and get ready for play again because he's bringing the ball up the court almost all the time. Rondo's picking him up full court and then you've got Kawhi and then you got Paul George guarding you and then Morris who's at least big and seems like he can stay in front of him for the most part and then they're throwing Batum at him it's just it's a lot of different looks and so much to put on a kid at his age and he's just continued to deliver the third quarter run that Dallas had was truly remarkable 25 to 5 run Doncic hit like six floaters in a row and then some crazy step back three off of a pick and roll. Uh, they tried throwing Boban in there to mix up the mismatches. Boban got posterized by Zubac on a putback opportunity. Wasn't super effective, but enough to just kind of throw the game into chaos and, and get the Clippers a little bit out of their rhythm and out of their system. Um, and then the Canadian, Dwight Powell, who missed all last season with an ACL injury, uh, had a ton of energy for them. He had a couple great offensive rebounds, a putback slam, um, was a great role partner with Doncic, and then had enough foot speed to kind of switch and stay in front of guys on the perimeter. So I think you're definitely going to see more of him in game, uh, game six in Dallas. Um, awesome. Just wanted to shout him out. 
And then Dorian Finney-Smith with some clutch defensive plays down the stretch. Uh, he stripped Kawhi and Paul George once each. Um, just great defensive presence. Kleber wasn't getting it done on Kawhi, so they had to switch Finney-Smith on to him. Um, and yeah, I, it, it, it in the end, it all comes back to who's the best player in the series, Luka or Kawhi. And tonight it was Luka. 42 points and he scored or assisted on 31 of 37 made shots for the Mavericks. So there were only six baskets scored that Luca didn't have a direct um, hand in, which is ridiculous. Yeah. One of my favorite plays of the night, uh, like after he went supernova in the third quarter, took his time off, came back in the fourth quarter. You could tell he was still gassed. Like he was barely touching the ball his first couple minutes on the court and still trying to feel his way back and leave enough in the tank for the clutch time. But he, he just took it and moved just close enough to make the help defender worry about a drive. And then like an instant three, I like pass, I think to Porzingis, but just like the the tone and pace that he set was so perfect for like, yeah, there's five seconds on the clock. I'm thinking about driving to the mid range and doing that floater. I just lit you guys up with and like just hinting at it just enough to get the defender, like subconsciously moving a little farther and like taking advantage of it with a perfect pass. Just every element of the game. It felt like he was in control of when he was hot and they hung in there well enough when uh, that slowed down to not get too desperate down the stretch. I cannot wait for game six and whoever comes out of this series is, is going to be battered and bruised, but also have a great shot in that second round uh, against either Phoenix or the Lakers because, or sorry, no, this is the four or five series against Utah because Utah has shown that they've given up high scoring performances to elite perimeter players. And that was John Morant. And the year before in the bubble, it was Jamal Murray and Luca will have a field day against this Utah team that I guess they can throw Bogdanovich, they can throw Ingles, but then besides that, some of their perimeter guys are a little too small. Um, and Doncic is just going to abuse the pick and roll against Rudy Gobert. So it'll be really interesting to see if Dallas gets through. It's a great matchup. And then if the Clippers get through, they have the obvious wing advantage, which has perpetually been uh, Utah's struggle. They just don't have the wing defenders for elite perimeter guys. Um, and so, yeah, it's it's it'll be a really interesting matchup either way. I don't really have anything else for this game uh, rather than just directly inject game six right beside my vaccine into my veins <laughs> very excited all righty uh last basketball note here um a ton was said today already but the boston celtics after their series loss to the brooklyn nets blowing things up in the front office and on the sidelines danny ainge stepping down uh as the general manager and brad stevens getting fired upward um, because I believe the Celtics didn't have a real reason to fire him as the head coach because he had been so successful three Eastern conference finals in five years. Um, so rather than firing him, they fire him upwards into the general manager role, which will be bizarre. I, I don't remember the last time this has happened where a coach goes directly 
to the decision maker as a GM. Obviously, he'll have advisors to help him. But uh, a really interesting move, and, and we'll see what happens. Will Brad Stevens be a little bit too soft because he has close, close ties to the guys that he was just coaching? And then who will be the next head coach in Boston? Right now, the two front runners look to be uh, Lakers assistant, Jason Kidd, obviously more known for his uh, feats as a player. And then uh, Atlanta's head coach, Lloyd Pierce, who would be a great hire. And also, uh, not to say this is the reason why they would hire him, but a great diversity hire for a Celtics organization that has struggled with, a, with obviously, um, monochrome and uh, not a lot of diversity in their front office there. And, and so that would be important for them to start changing their culture. Um, and just looking forward to seeing how that goes. It's nice to see Boston starting to unravel just a tiny bit. I think they'll be fine. Of course, we already talked about the exploits of Jason Tatum, but as a team that sits in our division here in Toronto, um, always nice to see them change things up and hopefully <laughs> that'll affect some of their success in the coming years. And we're back with sports next door for our talking hockey segment and, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs have once again exited the playoffs in the first round. Oh, I heard uh, some wise words from a girl on Tinder the other week when she said when uh, she's getting over a guy, she grieves fully and then moves on. And I thought that was pretty profound. You let your, you feel your emotions and then you move on. And I think that's what I want to do here. I, the emotions are mainly numbness, to be honest, but I'm going to roast this team a little and then say why I don't think anything changes, really. They straight up over the point of a seven-game playoff series is to establish which team is the better team. And in game seven, the series tied 3-3. Everything on is on the line. The Montreal Canadiens were absolutely the better team than the Toronto Maple Leafs. And that's really all this series comes down to. I, I can make excuses for an overtime where you had 10 minutes of dominance and then the puck bounced the wrong way. Why you were in low spirits for a game when your captain got injured, but Ultimately, we have a lot of players. We're paying a lot of money that we tanked for to get in a draft. We have a blue line that we've spent years putting together and polishing and trying to fit together. We have goaltending we felt optimistic about, and none of it mattered over the 60 minutes when it needed to matter most. And I'm not convinced you take a hammer to it. I I can't believe I'm even reading headlines suggesting trade Mitch Marner, but this franchise feels cursed. I'm not the least bit surprised. They blew a 3-1 series lead. Uh, looking forward to how disappointment next year. Yeah, there's there's so many ways in, that I could take in so many thoughts in my head. I had to put on my clown makeup first before I started talking uh, because a month from now, I will be ready to get hurt again. Um, yeah, uh, 2019, game seven, 5-1, lost to Boston. Game five, 2020, 3 nothing loss to Columbus. This year, 
Game 7, 2021, 3-1 loss to Montreal. For those keeping score at home, 11-2, we have been outscored in deciding games in the last three years. There are so many guys who will be gone and there will be guys who will return. Um, I imagine Spets is back because of the value. I would say Hall, Muzzin, Brody back because of the value and, and the solid defense that they played. You consider moving Riley based on one year left, great value contract. You can get something, but he was great in that series. And I think he's untouchable. Austin is your franchise center. You can't move him. And Willie played himself into the untouchable category. He was their best player in the series. And 6.9 is looking pretty good. And then you get to Mitch, who I love so dearly with all my heart. And I want nothing more for them to have all of the success in the world. I have his jersey. I think we both do. But in a world where you get 10, $11 million a year cap hit to not score a goal in 18 straight playoff games, to make top tier talent money on a team that spends to the cap in a flat cap now era, obviously you can't control a pandemic, but that is what happened. There's just no value there. And he looks scared and his style of play is not conducive with playoff hockey. I think Matthews is terrible as well. Those two guys, they're your leaders, or at least they're your two best players. They should lead the team in production, in attitude, in performance. And they were nowhere to be found. And we can look back and see a team that was assembled on paper with very few flaws, as good as you could probably get, given the circumstances. But you look now, Nick Felino was injured when they traded for him, apparently, which I think is just awful. How can you make that trade when Taylor Hall's sitting there? Joe Thornton, no longer an NHL player, is apparent. Wayne Simmons, good for the first three games, and then after that had bloodied himself into a pulp from hitting everyone and getting hit by everyone. I don't know, man. (laughs) Again, a month from now, you look back and you say, not much needs to change. It's truly... They just need to get over this hump. And like they're so young and they've got so much time, but when does it become winning time? I just, I really don't know. Like Marner's 24 or 23, Matthew's 23, Willie's 25. Like it's, it's right there for them. And they've got quite a few years to go, but 
it's hard to build a team in the salary cap era when your top four guys are making 50% of the money. And they're going to have to pull all sorts of cap gymnastics to reassemble a strong team. But things have to be considered because now with the salary situation that you're stuck in and the performance that we've seen, it's been five years now of this core and you've got nothing to show for it. So things do have to be re-examined. And I just feel so crappy, so bummed out. This, like, Montreal is not good. I, and you can come back and tell me, sucks, your team lost. Yeah, we did. But Montreal is not good. And neither is Winnipeg. And this team should have been in third round. But they're not. And... Don't go to the players and and send them nasty things. They're people. But it is 100% fair game to say we expect better. As a fan base, we care more than they do. That's all I got. Yeah, it's... I'm trying to differentiate here between a sunk cost fallacy and development. Everyone has a different development it is unfortunate these guys marner and matthews like you look at a guy like pasternak and he's been able to get his playoff experience along like two of the best players you could ask for in uh, bergeron and marchand that's ideally how you want young talent to be exposed and like grow up and cultured and learn what playoff hockey is. Matthews and Marner at this point, they just, when all the other, when the other team kicks it into a higher gear, starts checking harder, there's nothing for free whatsoever. You have to pay for everything. There's a target on your back when you're even on the bench before you think about getting onto the ice. There's just, another level and they haven't been able to figure out how to thrive in it. And it's a question of, are we building towards that? Are, are the, all these embarrassments just a necessary part in these particular players growths? It, is there a light at the end, end of the tunnel that makes this all worthwhile or is it just never going to happen and better to move on? cut your losses and because you're right you you could get like a William Nylander and Alex Kerfoot and like an Ilya Mikheyev for Mitch Marner and all three of those and an Alex Galchenyuk why not maybe even like a friggin I don't know what Justin Hall or Jake Muzzin are getting paid but like all those guys are coming maybe like three million higher than Marner's cap hit and they for sure did more than him in the playoffs. So I I hadn't thought of it that way. And I, I want to believe that this is all growth for something. But yeah, Carey Price is very good. And that was some of the best goaltending I've seen him play in a long time, which, but no excuses when you're the better team. And Fuck, man. Yeah. 
where will Hyman go? Yeah. Where will the whole slew of forwards who are on one-year deals go? Where will Anderson go? There's an expansion draft this summer, so that's great. We have, what, three picks in this year's draft? Draft picks don't matter at this point. The window's open. Nick Robertson's coming up. Rodion and Mirov's mostly coming up. You know Sandine's full-time. Lilligren probably has a great shot to make the lineup. Who else is in there? A couple other prospects maybe coming up under under the team. See if you can find guys who care, right? Lots of talk about leadership this year. Ton of combined leadership experience from a lot of guys who have done jack all, really, in terms of winning. Yeah, you can say Thornton, Simmons, Spezza, Tavares. Like, they've all done great things. But do any of them have a cup? Muzzin does. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, 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 I'm, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I just, right. I, I'm still, it's still fresh and I'm so upset. And yeah, I don't know how much hockey I'll be watching for the next couple of weeks, but there is some great hockey and I was so excited to watch couple of these series and now i just have like a bitter taste in my mouth yeah well i watched montreal win that game and shut my tv off and shut this part of my brain off quite honestly this is the most i've thought about it since and i'm glad i've done that likewise have not watched a ton of hockey since which i am hoping to get back into this week but uh, yeah, I also don't have a ton to say about any of the other hockey action. I know you've got some notes. I don't know if you want to speak it or we just wrap up the hockey here. <laughs> Here's where I stand on hockey. Colorado, wagon. Tampa Bay, wagon. Boston, New York Islanders, snooze fest. Hate watch. Not watching a second of that series. Even if the team, if even if the hockey's good, I'm sorry, I just can't. I don't like either of those teams. Winnipeg, Montreal. Shifley should be done for the series. He just came down four games. Uh, if it gets to a game six, he is dying on ice. Uh, maybe I'll watch that. Um, just an atrocious, disgusting hit that honestly just made me more mad because Montreal ended up winning that game. I was like, we could beat. This Winnipeg team, they're not good. Montreal's not good. <sighs> okay. Uh, and then, hey, guess what? The lottery was last night. Bet you didn't know that. The NFL, the NBA draft lottery is an event now, and the NHL is nowhere close. And I don't know if you could name me the number one prospect. I just saw today Owen Power. Great. We share same name. First time I heard of him ever. Like this draft is such a crapshoot. Uh, went mostly chalk. Buffalo, number one pick, good for them. You can add to the dumpster fire. I feel so terrible for whoever that number one pick is going to be. Like, truly, this is the worst year to get a top five pick, in my opinion. It's, like, such a shot in the dark. Seattle's got the number two pick. That's cool. Release the Kraken. Might be my new team. We'll see. (sighs) 
Uh, New Jersey, bad. I don't know. This really. Anaheim, bad. First top five pick they've had in 17 years, I think. Good for them. It's just, I don't know. It, the This lottery has no intrigue, no appeal. So congrats to all those crappy teams that get picks that may turn around their franchise. Um, kind of wish <laughs> that that the Leafs could, we could go back to when they picked Austin Matthews. That was such an exciting time. Um, but you just move forward. And this is the beginning for some of those teams to open up a window, which will eventually end in disappointment. And we begin the circle of pain once again. Well, All right. Yeah, let's, let's just move on. <laughs> and we're back, giving ourselves maybe not a pep talk, but feeling a little more pepped uh, here to wrap up the show. We got a couple of quick notes on a couple different sports and Owen's going to kick it off with some baseball. Baseball bit on tap. The Jays big walk-off win last night against the Miami Marlins. They sweep that brief two game series, but super, super vital wins for a team that has the eighth best record in the American league and is fourth in their division. So in a league with 15 teams, four of the top eight are in one division. This division is incredibly deep. The Rays have the best record in baseball. The Red Sox are right behind them. And then you have the Yankees and the Blue Jays. And it it sucks, the format that baseball has. Um, If it was NBA-wise, the Jays would be in a playoff spot um, or have at least a much better shot of making the playoffs. But they are stuck in this division, and they must uh, scratch and claw for each win that they get. yeah, that's pretty much all you need to know. Because they play every day, not much changes game to game. Uh, Grichik, great performance last night. Manoa hits his first road uh, bump, uh, gave up quite a few runs in his start, but was able to have his team bail him out and, and win it in the ninth. Uh, and yeah, the Jays just got to keep trying to string wins together uh, because <laughs> it is a gauntlet division. And I think they got the Astros coming up, which will be a really, really tough series for them as Houston is another top team in the American league. And Max, I'll throw it over to you. What you got, buddy? Yeah. The French open has been rolling and, uh, not in the great direction for the Canadians. Uh, oh. Did you, did you mean to slip in that, uh, yeah. that pun there? It was, it was beautiful. I appreciated it. <laughs> Um, Bianca out in the first round, Felix out in the first round, Leila Fernandez out in the second round. All had sparks of life in the games they lost, but not much else. Uh, Real quick, I think for Bianca, it just spoke to the fact that she hasn't played that many games this season. And I think this was... I think she got halfway through one like minor clay tournament before pulling out due to injury. And like at the start of the Australian open, everyone's kind of in a similar boat, like a little rusty, but at this point in the season, most of the competitors have a lot more experience under their belt are a lot more fresh, are a lot more polished and that's going to show up in these games. And I think that's more or less what happened. Uh, a lot of the pieces of her game, like the drop shots, just kind of missing. Uh, Felix's was tough to watch. She 
it looked like he was gonna he sparked a comeback he had a great uh third set but then lost the match in the fourth set took a long time to figure out how to break his opponent and uh by the time he figured that out it was too late uh and Layla kind of just got smashed so not a great week for Canadian tennis all in all great week for tennis fans though it just whatever I've been throwing on that hasn't featured a Canadian has been really enjoyable to watch. Uh, watch caught like some Rafa magic today. I uh, was watching Sitsipas yesterday. Uh, and Djokovic has looked superb. Um, other than the time upset, like all of the top dogs have been flying. And we're getting to the point where they're all having like the warm up matches for the matches against each other. Uh, the third round kicking off tomorrow and there are going to be some good ones. I'm hoping this Sunday I will have a little more excitement and a little more tangible recaps and analysis to give, but uh, loving having a TV in the house and just being able to throw tennis on at like seven, eight, nine AM in the morning. And yeah, so we arrive at the end of our show and for if you've been listening since the beginning, you know that a sport near and dear to Owen's heart is about to be discussed. So, oh, the floor is yours. Thank you, sir. Tomorrow, the American Ultimate Disc League, the AUDL Ultimate Frisbee, remember the name, is kicking off their season, the miraculous return they did not run in 2020. Um, they are still accepting investors now. So get in early on the wave. Uh, Bill Nye is the lead investor. Gotta love Bill. <laughs> Something about uh, a jersey if you invest enough? <laughs> maybe. We'll see. Oh, I think my buddy got one. Oh, really? He yeah. and Hootie, it, that's really cool. Yeah. So the AUDL kicking off. Um, I've been an Ultimate Frisbee fan and player for quite a number of years now. Um, I was going to have the opportunity to play in the league um, for the Ottawa Outlaws before uh, the Panini set in. Um, so bummer for that. I will not be on the team this year as it is way too much of a travel for me to make uh, in order to play for that team. But I will be cheering them on from home uh, as they participate in the Canada Cup. That'll be the Montreal Royale, the Ottawa Outlaws, and the Toronto Rush. Uh, Toronto, the heavy favorites there, a really strong club. And then if you are trying to get into Ultimate, I know Fox Sports 2 will be running their game of the week every week, so that's the place to look for it. Uh, as well, there's AUDL TV, which is a subscription platform to watch all the games every week. Uh, and the teams to look out for if you're really trying to get into the sport, the top teams are the Raleigh Flyers, the New York Empire, uh, the San Diego AV, or <laughs> Growlers, pardon me, uh, the Dallas Roughnecks, the Chicago Union, new and improved Chicago Union uh, with signing a bunch of stars. The AUDL has a bit of NBA to it, um, not in the fact where it's star driven, but stars love to team up on certain teams. Um, so we've had that the past couple of years. Uh, a way back, the first iteration was the San Francisco Flamethrowers, who now no longer exist. Then a bunch of the stars moved over to Dallas, won a couple championships there. Uh, and of course, Two years ago, the New York Empire 
was the team uh, of all-stars, including MKBHD Marquez Brownlee, who is much more famous for his tech videos than Ultimate Frisbee, but a passion of his nonetheless. And this year it is Chicago, the team to look out for with the uh, accumulation of AUDL stars. So if you are interested in getting in early on a new sport and looking for something else uh, as the regular monotony of basketball, baseball, football, hockey, soccer, whatever it is, just isn't doing it for you, then I definitely 100% recommend checking it out. It's going to be a really, really awesome season. Uh, and they do a lot of great things to engage with their fans. I know they're embarking on a uh, fantasy partnership. So if you're even just looking to get into fantasy and, and are not the biggest sports fan or whatever, I know people will gamble on Korean baseball, right? Get in on ultimate. Uh, it'll increase your, your love of the sport. And um, I cannot recommend it enough. So I'm looking forward to that uh, as the season kicks off tomorrow. Right. No uh, sign off, no end. I think the passion Owen has for ultimate will do just fine. Uh, and I'll just second it. It's a really sick sport that I've come to enjoy alongside the people who actually play it. Sports Next Door signing off.